Hello and welcome to episode 274 of the Random Town Podcast. I'm wow. Jason. I'm Angel. 274, huh? I am Kevin. Yeah. We we are moving on up there. And I think uh, in honor mm-hmm. of such a milestone episode as 274 and in honor of Kirby's new um, mouthful mode, we should go around and, and state which inanimate object eating Kirby we each are. I'm sure there's one that you like, you know, like to tag what? yourself in a photo. We should I was not ready for this. I, I I didn't I think it through when I suggested it. I don't know either. I'm, I'm this is off the cuff. I have no idea what to do. Actually, you know what? No, I think I got one. Guess I could be vending Kirby? machine Kirby. It's the only one. There's car, cone. Oh, that that already exists. Vending machine. Oh, I thought light you were trying to make up our own. Well, I'm no, with no, of the ones so I exist. Deal with that. Uh, oh well, that's ooh. fine. I'll go with one of the existing ones. I'll say I'm vending machine Kirby because uh, let's see, I like a snack. Uh, I may be limited in my range, but I'm relatively good at the thing I can do. I'm conscious of money. Uh, some may consider me to be square. Yeah, I'll go with that. That's mine. <laughs> Your turn. Bye, <laughs> uh, guys. Like thirty seconds. Bed Kirby, because then I could sleep with my mouth. I guess I I I don't know how to process this one. Uh, <laughs> Cone Kirby, because I like getting to the point. There we go. We'll just go with there. That's 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 beautiful. I'm Kevin, trying to understand how that gets to the point, at? but. It doesn't. It's wordplay, and we'll take it. We're yeah. not having wordplay. It's, it's visual. I'd be play. Herman Miller chair Kirby. <laughs> Specifically, or Herman Miller, because there are no more comfortable chairs. There isn't a single chair that's out there that's more comfortable than Herman Miller. Hashtag sponsored. Oh man, if we could get Herman Miller chairs to like sponsor us, we can dream, dude. Oh, that'd be the dream. Those chairs go for fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, they're they're up there for sure. Um, well, for a premium I will know podcast, I have like made it when I have a Herman Miller chair, <laughs> and that's what you can find on every print ad for Herman Miller chair. That quote attributed to Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, well, uh, now that I sort of caught you guys in your tracks, there we will dive deeper into this aspect of Kirby and the Forgotten Land uh, later in the show. But boy, do we have a show! you guys um we are calling this episode legends has it after pokemon legends arceus uh which we'll be sharing impressions of momentarily and spoiler it's good but it seems like nintendo like they just couldn't stop there you know releasing the first major shakeup of pokemon in 20 years wasn't enough nor was the release of their holiday financials enough nor was the first nintendo direct of 2022 enough they needed to do all three of them so along with Pokemon Legends, we're also going to be diving into all the news of what's coming, what we now know is coming to spring, uh, to switch the spring and summer. And we're going to look at some financial report details that perhaps explain the hows and whys of those decisions and why we're getting the games we're getting. So and this why is this definitely is a major those... problem. And yeah, why, why it's a problem for some and maybe not for others. But uh, yeah, this is one of the episodes where like, really, there's a lot of games, there's a lot of news. Those timestamps on Ramtown.com on the blog post may come in handy should you choose to jump around but you guys ready to just dive in with the first topic here just hit the ground running what if what if we just said Heck no yeah. what if we like what you know we i exactly? well it's it, well, it's funny to be, because to, the, to, to be frank and and i should not like we no, could lord of the frank. flies the the podcast. Na- now it's, the it's interesting you, you make the suggestion because um the first topic is pokemon legends arceus and i think i'm the only one who bought it right so like yeah, even i thought i was getting no, at that like i could hit the ground running i mean for us it's gonna be more like Hitting the ground on a segue because we'll be coasting while you do the blunt of the work. 
We are a really high cost podcast. Herman Miller chairs, segways. They don't make segways anymore, right? This is. I don't think they do, but but Segway the company makes those balance board thing, not balance board. That's a Nintendo thing, but makes those like those little hoverboard things that were popular a couple years. I know Chucky Chan has a Segway company in China, but I guess I don't know if that's still a thing. Well, Segway itself is from China, so whoa. That always seems to me like I a mean, not, I don't think they were originally from China, but they're now Chinese owned. Yeah, like Segway because into the next it, topic. It has yeah, yeah. All right, so let's do that. Okay, so uh, yeah, Pokemon Legends Arceus. I guess I am the only one that bought it. Um, Kevin, I'm not sure as much as I'm with Angel what Pokemon represents to you per se, or what may or may not click with uh, Arceus. But Angel, I know in terms of your way of playing Pokemon. You might made the right call not picking up uh, Arceus because Legends reimagines a time. I don't know why I keep interchangeably using the different subtitles, but either way, Pokemon Legends Arceus does reimagine a ton of what makes Pokemon Pokemon. And I'm loving everything they did, but if you're a guy who wants like to EV train or to breed for perfect stats or whatever, like literally none of that is here. Instead, yeah. like what, PvP, yeah. EV training, and from what I've seen, it's literally catered to people that just want to catch Pokemon and explore. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, awesome. I mean, literally, that's. I mean, that, it looks really fun. But, yeah. That's what it does incredibly well. Is in a way, it does kind of go back to this idea of like the old "God catch them all" slogan. It's about this world, you know, full of these creatures, and it's up to you to explore and document. Um, as a member of the Galaxy Expedition Team Survey Corps, which is like three words too many. Uh, it's a role you actually kind of quite literally fall into at Star Game because you show up in this unexpected land via a uh, hole in the sky. Um, and that may have something to do with space and time given the game's connection to Diamond and Pearl. Only thing I'm going to say there is it is very on the nose that some of the people you interact with are members of two rival clans, one called the Diamond Clan, one called the Pearl Clan. Each believes in their respective importance of time or space being the more important thing in life. I'll let you guess which clan's view which, which, uh, you know, matches which starring legendary Pokemon from each of those games. But anyway, yeah, in terms of the game, there is um, there is battling to be had. But honestly, it feels like it takes a backseat to a primary focus, like you said, Angel, of really just going out and catching and exploring Pokemon as a world. And as, honestly, as you guys oh, are... Hmm, no, go ahead. Go ahead. What are you I saying? was going to say, like, which honestly, like, yeah, I say that, that it's like pretty much on paper, like literally just on paper, it sounds like a Pokemon game I would dislike. But, you know, from footage that I've seen, from impressions that I've heard, both from, you know, briefly checking to Jason about it, and mainly from my coworkers, oh my god, they are loving this game. It's um, good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, it, it it does seem like something I would like. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I dislike just catching Pokemon or making that my main objective if it's, you know, the way it is in the mainline RPGs. If it was a game that's literally just that, yeah, that wouldn't be fun. Even for the people that I'd love to just catch Pokemon, if the game was literally just that, I mean, they probably think it's okay. Maybe they'll like it. But this is different. I mean, it's not just, mm-hmm. you know, random encounter catching Pokemon. Like, I mean, they're out there. It's almost like they yep. injected some Monster Hunter in there even. which kind, you know, Yeah, it, it's there's some kind of to that. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I think for me going into it, like as you two know, or like really anyone who listens to the show know, like the thing about Pokemon I had the most fun with isn't even necessarily like, oh, I like catching them in the old RPG. Like you were saying, it's the world. It's the idea of these creatures existing all around you. And like, you know, like when I was a kid, there's that song from like the Orange Island season 
of the of the Pokemon show. We all live at Pokemon World or whatever, and that was like my dream. So you know, the Detective movie, the Detective Pikachu movie comes around, and I loved it because of that that world building and the Pokemon kind of life. You know, Sword and Shield comes around, and I thought the wild area was kind of a step in the right direction in terms of you know like feeling like you're inside these environments, even if perhaps they were more expanded safari zones in practice than anything else. But still, they were full of like living, breathing Pokemon and you would see them and you would go up to them and that sort of thing. And even like Pokemon Snap, just getting to observe Pokemon behave like real animals with real like things they do in the environment. Like that was just cool. So what I really like about Legends so far and what does make it feel like different than just, oh, you're doing the catching from the regular RPGs is it really combines a lot of those aspects that they've been slowly kind of building towards and just takes it to like a whole new level. Cause you know, like I mentioned, you are tasked with having to go and document these Pokemon. You're, you're helping build the first ever Pokedex. So that means in gameplay terms, what feels like kind of a marriage of like the, Wait, so what did they do with that Pokedex? Did they like, burn they threw it, it in the garbage. After? You collected them all. And then they're like, cool. We're going to forget you did any of this. And then you have to do it in every game after. I assume. I, I don't know. I have I have not beaten the game. Your decks? Like, is your decks just like, hey, uh, can you No, there is no your decks. It's one and the same. There's a dex. You are making the Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying that's not yeah, because like, oh, I'm my personal your character one. refuses oh. to like, do anything but catch Bidoof. Yeah, so, like, oh. um, no, I'm actually being pretty, like, I don't want to let down the professor, so I am actually looking at all Pokemon. But I made sure one of the very first things I did in the game, as I was saying at the tail end of our last episode, is a photo shoot with my Bidoof in the photo studio, which is a fun little side thing in the game. So, which is pretty um, great. Your photo shoot. Yeah, is. so, like, I, I got my Bidoof fix um, early on. And the fact that they're the very first Pokemon you encounter in the entire game is just, that's why I'm praising this so much. It's not the game's good. It's that they start with Bidoof. Do you have they a picture of you with a right. full team of Bidoofs? Like, oh, I want to see Jason with, like, no. a Bidoof squad. No. I do not. Um, if you go look at somehow, if you find me on Pokemon Snap's like online photo sharing features, my Pokemon Snap profile for new Pokemon Snap is all Bidoofs. It's Bidoof themed. It's all Bidoof photos. It's what you're envisioning. I just haven't gotten there yet. With, uh, but um, yeah, what I was saying about the gameplay though, beyond Bidoof, which is great, um, is that it really does feel like they kind of combined like an extended take on the wild area. And honestly, like, the individual tasks of something like Pokemon Snap's photo assignments. Like, I know I was just saying how they're all Bidoof photos I took, but, like, Pokemon Snap does a really good job of giving you different things to do with Pokemon and sort of seeing how they engage with it as if they were real creatures. And this basically brings that into real Pokemon. It's not just about necessarily, like, catching a Pokemon and moving on because there are now, um, you know, multiple sets of objectives you need to check off your list. Like, maybe you do need to catch one or three, but you also want to observe them in battles and see them perform certain moves. You want to perhaps sneak up on them when they're sleeping or feed them a certain berry or see different variants of Pokemon. There's just a ton to do if you want to check off every single uh, thing. But I guess smartly for the sanity of most players out there, myself included, your dex entry is considered complete when you do enough of these things to reach what's considered a research level 10 for each Pokemon, which is only a certain subset of those tasks that you can kind of pick and choose. So if you want to be a completionist, there's really hundreds of things you can do. If you want to be somewhat sane... It you know it is kind of distilled, um, and if you combine these sorts of objectives with I guess the fact that as you venture into the world, these Pokemon actually act like living creatures. It just really adds to it. Like you can see them from distances, like you're saying, Angel. You know, it's not random encounters. You can watch them interact with one another. Different species do have different personalities. So you've got like friendly little Bidoofs, my boys. You know, running up to you. You've got shy Starlies who will you know who are flight risks the second you see them. Weirdly aggressive Parises of all Pokemon that will keep throwing uh, poison spores at you. You know, you have different uh, 
Pokemon show up depending on the time of day or the weather. Some you may encounter at a higher level and can actually hurt you, the trainer, you, the human. So you actually have to learn not just how to engage with these Pokemon, but avoid certain Pokemon at times. Uh, it's just really well thought out. There's even this thing called Alpha Pokemon, which are essentially souped-up, physically giant versions of regular Pokemon, uh, often at a much higher level than you're equipped to handle when you first encounter them. Um, so on the you know on the simplest level, they serve as kind of a gameplay hook to get you to return to previous areas on the map and participate in more traditional battles to overcome them or weaken them or whatever. But they also serve as leaders of actual packs of Pokemon. So when you see these alphas, you'll see their evolved form and they'll be big and burly and everything. But then their earlier forms are in the vicinity and will actually gang up on you together. So it really does kind of feel like they move like animals would in packs. And all of these aspects combined just make for a Pokemon world that really truly feels like real, like you're actually in the wilderness with the Pokemon. And on the gameplay side, it's really interesting to see how Game Freak sort of toys with Pokemon's core mechanics inside this new setting. Because yes, you're right, it is not the same Catching Angel, not at all. But in terms of progression, they actually took the skeleton of what makes a regular Pokemon RPG and just applied it to this new scenario. Like, instead of earning eight badges that each grant you, you know, command of higher level Pokemon or some new items, Legends has you rank up through ten different star levels as you collect more research, each giving you, yep, command of higher level Pokemon and new types of items like Pokeballs. There's now ten Pokeballs. So that's kind of very similar. Or if you, or if you take the idea of gyms, like the idea of a Pokemon gym in the core games, if you distill it down was that you do these little puzzles that you would do, you know, out exploring the rest of the world or a team market base or a cave or whatever. And then they're kind of stringing together a bunch of different Pokemon battles that really test how well you've trained up to that point with kind of the final gym leader being like the the big finale of that battle sequence. In Legends, that idea now exists in the form of these things called Noble Pokemon, which combined two kind of key overworld mechanics from the game, dodging and uh, throwing, but with Pokemon battles. So essentially you encounter a massive gold shimmery looking Pokemon and you need to lob these bombs at it to lessen its health bar while also dodging it as it's charging at you. If you time it right or you wear it down enough, you then are given the opportunity to throw a Pokemon at it and actually enter a battle. Then after a certain amount of damage is dealt in the battle, throws you back into kind of the bomb throwing sequence and back to the Pokemon battle and you rinse and repeat until the health bar is depleted, which much like, again, the flow of making it through a gym. It's very similar. You know, each trainer has a, it's like a notch in the gym's quote-unquote health until you land that final blow by defeating the leader, and that's it. So even that kind of mirrors, which is interesting. And I'd even go as far as to say, you're comparing it to Monster Hunter. I'd say the traditional route system of normal Pokemon games lives on here and how the map is divided. I mean, I know we all kind of thought Monster Hunter, and I'm sure there is some element of that and how they kind of have like sectional areas you go through and progress, but... In practice, like actually playing through it, it did really remind me of the route system in a funny way because each new area you open up, there's you know different Pokemon or different types and higher levels, and as you'd expect with any game's progress to be, you know, Monster Hunter I'm sure does it too. But then eerily similar to routes is that in certain parts of these areas, you're always guaranteed to see certain Pokemon. It's just like if you're playing one of the classic Pokemon games and you know that oh this certain patch of tall grass halfway down route 3 or whatever is the one where the Pikachu shows up like it, it's actually it's actually an aspect of the game I'm not sure if I even like or dislike I mean obviously different areas will have sets of Pokemon that are consistent between visits but the specific spots where they spawn are the same every time. Like as an example when you leave one of the first uh, base camps you set up in the first region, uh, first 
region of the map. It's called the High Heights Camp, I think. Um, if it's daytime, you are always, the second you walk out of there, going to encounter three starlies along a cliffside. If it's nighttime, you turn left, and there's always going to be two Zubats there instead, going left down the path. Like, always. Every time. And I think, I think I like it, I think I like it, like, mostly because it helps kind of streamline Pokedex completion, especially if you're looking for Shinies, who, from my understanding, also respawn in the same spot. And if you do want a more chaotic Pokemon situation, there are these space-time distortion bubble things that pop up, where a whole hodgepodge of Pokemon will bombard you all at once if you enter them. It's just, like, complete, total chaos. But having it be so reliably always the same Pokemon per spot on the map every time does slightly kind of shatter the illusion of the game a bit. It almost feels too mechanical or, like, too gamey. Like, you're basically seeing the blatant spawn point where they're coming out, and it's just kind of, like... I don't know. Like, it kind of takes me out of it a little. But the streamlining it provides, though, like, that... Streamlining is really the word, I think, that sums up a lot of the experience. Uh, like, on the one hand, yes, you're exploring these vast areas, and, and yes, there's a whole crafting system I haven't even touched on that is needed to create everything for Pokeballs, items to attract Pokemon with, but all those are relatively straightforward and accessible. If you need to heal Pokemon while out in the world and you're out of items, you can instantly warp to the nearest camp. If you, you know, need to craft... Um, you can throw out any Pokemon to bonk a tree or break some ore or whatever. There's no HM slaves here. HMs and TMs don't even exist for that matter. Um, and I think where the streamlining is maybe the most apparent, kind of on that HM-TM train of thought, at least for a subset of Pokemon fans, maybe yourself included, Angel, is in battles. Like, I'm I'm a more ca- uh, casual battler, so this is, like, perfect for me. You know, what? the type chart still applies. In fact, I know, shocking, right? But the, the type chart still applies, so, like, I, I kind of know my way around it. In fact, the game actually tells you basically on every screen if, if, if the decision you're making is going to be effective or not or have a good outcome or not, which I personally really like. But um, also they have introduced a new, this supposedly the deep part of the system. I guess they introduced a, thing a new in Pokemon game since Sun and Moon, I think. Yeah, I, I, think it, I think it has. But I don't remember it being on the Pokemon selection screen. No, yeah, it's, so it's you obviously in on battle, the moves. But... Yeah, no, it's on the moves. Yeah, it's on... Oh, I guess it was there. Well, either way, it's nice that that carried over, I guess. But they also did introduce this new strength agile system that lets you um, essentially shake up the sequence of who attacks um, by either sacrificing attack damage to go sooner or choose strength but risk letting your opponent go twice. And even there, the game gives you the ability to view the upcoming attack order at any time so you can see you know, the effect of any buff you basically choose to do. Um, it's also worth noting that this technique technically only applies to moves a Pokemon has quote-unquote mastered, um, which is presumably to add another dimension to your decision instead of, you know, just letting you willy-nilly soup up any attack. But you can have your Pokemon learn to master a move in a training facility in town, so it's really not that deep. You just have to go, oh, I guess next battle I'll make sure that's mastered. So it's like one step removed from always accessible. Uh, but that, But that's the thing, though. Like, from what I can tell there's no real deeper mechanics that play beyond these. Like, there's nothing too complicated. Like I was saying earlier, there's no EV training. There's no breeding. There's no IVs. There is a thing called effort levels uh, in which you collect items called grit. There are four different types of grit that exist, each with a different point value. And if you give them to your Pokemon, you can max out certain stats. Kind of like the IV EV thing. But it's all very straightforward. And they now show the exact levels of each stat, like on a screen where you can just look at it. And, uh, you know, it, versus kind of having to forge through it and figure it out yourself, like in the traditional games. So it is definitely simpler in those regards and streamlined in those regards. So if, if that's, you know, disappointing 
to anyone to any amount. I, I do think what's interesting about the game is it very clearly feels like it's laying foundation for something more. Like it feels like there's the opportunity here for deeper stuff in the future. Like even with all my gushing about like the world, there's clear room for improvement. It's kind of sparse, for example. Uh, there's no other trainers you encounter. Can't even battle your friends online or locally. Uh, the Pokemon themselves uh, barely interact between species or with the world like they do in New Pokemon Snap. They interact with certain things and with things you throw at them and, and within their species, but they don't really like go beyond that. Um, you know, even your own interactions with Pokemon only have a set number of things. It'd be cool if there was more flushed out, there's more variety. Even what you do in the world as the human is limited to basically just finding Pokemon and I guess occasionally using Pokemon for transportation. Like there's no real like puzzles or environmental things. So it would be cool if like they introduced some sort of light puzzle sign that maybe in some cases you do need a specific Pokemon to do a specific thing, even at cost of being a little less streamlined. Like this seems like a next step. And on the production side too, like I'm not I'm not in the camp that the graphics are bad, like a lot of people are saying, but you know, they there's some pop in that happens, there's some clipping that happens, the sky looks nice, the rest is just kind of okay. Like the control setup, I do really like it, but having to toggle um by hitting X to alternate between tossing a Pokeball or sending out your Pokemon to battle, and then having both those throws be the same button, so you just need to know which which time you hit X and what which one's going to do. There's multiple times I've accidentally been trying to sneak up on Pokemon and then launch myself into a battle and I just wanted to catch it. Uh, so, you know, stuff like that could be cleaned up. Even presentation-wise, like the game, I feel like it's at the point where they got to do voice acting. Like it feels like when Zelda was right on the cusp of starting to do voice acting, she's like, why is it not here? Like it's so story-driven, especially early on, that just feels like that would help. But my, my point is, this does feel, as I'm playing through it, it's really fun, but it does feel like a first pass at a new idea. And and for Pokemon, the fact that such an opportunity exists is is actually very exciting. Like, it's, it's, it is one thing that I'm having an absolute blast with Legends, and I would, I would recommend it to anyone who's a fan or has any interest in more than just the, the battles. Like, yes, that, that is true. I stay, I stand by that. But also, like, what it represents for the future is just, as I said, exciting. Like, let's be honest. Game Freak, they were very hesitant to ever make any real gameplay changes for fear it could tank the franchise. So when like Pokemon Go came along and so many people latched onto a different take on Pokemon, that seemed to kind of give Game Freak enough confidence to finally start tiptoeing into new ideas. And then we got Sun and Moon, which felt like the first real test with like structural tweaks. And, you know, it was a reward for it. It went on to be, I think it outsold Ruby and Sapphire and Black and White. It's It sold some like 16 million copies. And then... Pokemon Sword and Shield gave us the wild area in DLC for the first time, and the response was so strong that, here's a fun stat, as of December, it's now the second best-selling Pokemon game ever, with 23.9 million copies. It outperformed even Gold and Silver, which is crazy given the Pokemon frenzy when Gold and Silver came out in 2000. So, and you know, it, it, Sword and Shield did that in a couple of years. Gold and Silver, that's since the year 2000, and it got outperformed. And then, you know, kind of on the side of all this, we've seen Game Freak start to explore the idea of what, like, multiple types of Pokemon game could be. Like, maybe ones that change or replace existing systems. Like, you could argue uh, Game Freak use Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee as sort of the litmus test for a Pokemon that maybe does streamline experience. Because remember the backlash when it was the first one to default experience sharing for all members of your party? So, you know, those went on to then be the second best-selling remakes in the series. I think they were only a couple hundred thousand behind Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, over 14 million copies. So... 
now, like we're here with Legends, going all in on a new idea for the first time in tandem with over on the side, Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl, you know, doing its thing, and they're both killing it. Like Legends, uh, in its first week, sold 6.5 million copies, which is one of the fastest selling Switch games ever. It outperformed Sword and Shield's first week of uh, 6 million. It surpassed Smash Bros. Ultimate's first week of 5 million. And meanwhile, we just learned in Nintendo's financials, that, which we'll talk about a bit more later, that Burning Diamond Shine Pearl just moved shy of 14 million copies in about six weeks' time over the holidays, which is insane in and of itself. It's, it's probably by now already the best-selling remake in Pokemon franchise history. So I think the reason I bring up all these numbers and stuff is I think it goes to show that, like, Legends, this experience, where the future of Pokemon is going to go beyond what Legends is. It's going to go beyond what Brilliant Diamond Shine Pearl is. It's going to be encompassing at some point. So if you're a purist who wants your deep stats and your battles, you spoke alongside 14 million others with Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. If you wanted something new or different or more world-buildy, I guess, you spoke with 6.5 million others with, uh, you know, Legends and made it the fastest, one of the fastest-selling Switch games out there. So if I'm Game Freak, I now see two options, both which that reward fans in the same way, in a way. They could either go two routes in the franchise can mirror how Zelda and Mario offer their own separate lines of like 2D and 3D games and, you know, how Kirby had traditional platformers and his other stuff, I guess. I don't know what to call it. Uh, and, and actually, if they were to split the franchise, the irony there is that's what fans have wanted back when there was handheld and console Nintendo systems. Like, I remember, you know, all the fans begging in the GameCube days and the Wii days, let's get like a real 3D Pokemon RPG, like... Ironically, it took Nintendo merging the platforms for Game Freak to finally do it, but if they go that route, that's an option. Or they could just merge the game ideas, like keep Legends-based gameplay, but add in some of the deeper mechanics, add in some new battle systems. I think either way they go, it's really exciting because we're basically back in like the red and blue days for the first time. There's all sorts of potential here for how Pokemon expands its gameplay at a scale we haven't seen in like literally 25 years. It's an inflection point of sorts. And I think... Besides Legends being really fun because it feels so fresh and different, I think what's going to be fun is seeing how it now plays out as they expand what Legends is or can be or what Pokemon even is or can be. Like, I personally kind of hope they merge the games back together and do something that's a little of everything. But would you prefer, especially Angel, since I know you're a battle guy, would you prefer if they kept kind of the traditional games traditional and let the battles live there? Or would you be interested in seeing it kind of merge in and maybe have some different I, I guess merging in wouldn't necessarily make me more enticed to play because like I said in the past like this kind of stuff like sounds interesting and I think if anything I guess I would prefer to keep them separate because I like the fact it's so different and its own thing makes me interested in trying it out someday because at the end of the day like like I said my ideal official Pokemon game is literally just a fancy like stat wouldn't it be like battle revolution 2 essentially not not even because like battle revolution 2 like i mean those are fun like you know you could put your pokemon in there like i mean i love battle revolution like that was one of my favorite that's probably like as close as it got to like just having really fun single player content for competitive battling which was great but you know just like uh i just wanted official pokemon showdown which is if you're not familiar pokemon showdown is basically a a browser game that is basically a battle simulator. Like you literally just enter the stats of the Pokemon you want and you just battle against random people and you just create your perfect team. Like it pretty much cuts away all it pretty much just turns it into chess at that point. 
Like, you're not... You're just doing the battles. Like, just the battles. Like, the perfect Pokemon are already perfect because that's not the point. Like, you're not gonna... Like, I'm not gonna battle with an imperfect team. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that'd be ideal. Pokemon the way it is now is fine. Just the way it is. For what it does, it kind of satisfies both parties, I feel. I guess I guess I thought it did equally. But this new direction sounds perfect for that other side. And I don't know, maybe a new way for me to rediscover Pokemon in a way that I haven't really tried enjoying it in a while. So... Where, where do you stand on all this, Kevin? Because like Angel's very passionate about his battles, clearly. But what, what's like Pokemon to you? Um... I guess it would lean a little bit closer to this, uh, mm. probably uh, an open world. I don't, I don't know. It'd have to be sort of like, huh? I don't know. It, it would have to be essentially Legends gameplay or like Legends s gameplay in the world of like Sword and Shield. So a little bit more mm. modern. So a little, a little more visible linear progression. Yeah. A little more like activity in the world. Yeah, that, a little more structure. Cool. Yeah. I I would yeah. dig that, but because I'm not I'm not a huge uh, competitive Pokemon player. I I mean I'm barely a Pokemon player at all. But yeah, if there was something more akin to Legends, hey, there's there's something about Legends that just doesn't I guess like tickle my fancy. So it it looks looks fun, but I don't know. There's something just off something off about this game that just doesn't resonate with me. It. I, I kind of get what you mean. Like, I think, one, that's why Nintendo was so weird with how they marketed it. Like, the fact that it was the best-selling Switch, one of the top, fastest-selling Switch games, like, ever is crazy, given how little Nintendo actually, like, put out about the game or even, like, promoted the game compared to some other ones. Um, but I think that's partly because it does have kind of that feeling of, like, I want to say it's a prototype, but it definitely feels, and I think I used the word before, that kind of sometimes feels very mechanical. Like, it feels like you're going through the systems of the game versus, like, being part of this grander experience and fortunately for me the systems of the game create this kind of living breeding pokemon where i've always wanted so i'm going to overlook some of the like you know strings and poise that are kind of in a way visible but it definitely like is i can see how it would be like oh well this is like kind of open world but you can, like see how it all works there's not really like a, a structure to it but there is but it's not really like a gameplay structure it's just like yeah I, it's, it's a weird it's in a weird gray area in that so I, I kind of know where you're coming from in terms of just feeling slightly like tilted or stilted or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, but I, I do think, like I said, I think the, the future of Pokemon is super exciting because Game Freak's finally gotten to the point where they're comfortable trying things. And it took them way too long to do that. And it does also kind of transition us nicely into the news portion of the, our episode because uh, the big a, a big part of the uh, story of Pokemon's success of late, the sales story of how... You know, in 2021, Pokemon sold more games in the United States than any other time in the last 20 years. You know, all that was possible because of what it's on, which is the Switch. And, uh, you, you know, you need that install base in order to hit those milestone numbers. So um, that install base actually just hit its own milestones. Uh, as part of Nintendo's holiday quarter financial report, they confirmed a new sales total of 103.54 million units why that matters is because that surpasses the Wii's lifetime sales of 101.6 million and the PS1's lifetime sales of 102.5 million. And I will readily admit, five years ago on this show, I got it wrong. I straight up was saying, oh, when the Switch launches, it's going to do well, but I don't think it's going to beat the Wii. 
and yet here we are. And based on calculations I saw from Bloomberg, not only did it beat the Wii, Switch uh, hit 100 million faster than any other home console in history. So uh, double whammy against. Yeah, but this um, is going to happen, Jason. I don't know. Oh, oh, was it Angel? Really? <laughs> but, yeah. but I mean, it it was. You know, it it has been for a few years. Obviously, that we get to this point, and perhaps to that degree, like the hardware story is a bit played out now. You know, like the only milestones left to surpass on the Nintendo side are outselling Game Boy and DS, which you know was there. Say, I guess, I guess next would be the PS4, which has like 116. You know, what what really? It's like it does well. That's kind of the takeaway, and certainly. You could expect some slowing sales momentum at this point. And yeah, that, that happened with the Switch this past holiday. Um, you could partly blame no cultural moment on the scale of Animal Crossing. I mean, it's now, I think Animal Crossing is now at about 38 million copies in a little under two years. Um, I did just read that in Japan. It actually became the country's biggest selling game ever, surpassing the record held by Super Mario Brothers by more than 3 million copies. And it took, well, you know, that two and a half, a little under two years to do it. Um, but you can also partly blame the chip shortages, obviously. But fact is, it was down 7% year over year, like still over 10 million between uh, October and, and December. So 10 million sold during the holidays. Uh, 4 million of those were the new OLED model. But it's down nonetheless, and it continues to be down. Or Nintendo anticipates it's going to continue to be down for the rest of the fiscal year. They revised their hardware projection a second time. So originally it was 25 million for this fiscal year, so March to uh, April to March. Then it was 24 million, and now it's 23 million. Um, and again, they, the, the company line is chip shortages, and we are still talking big numbers. But it's it's not like we're seeing acceleration on the hardware side more. The story is just it did really well, which is what makes the software side perhaps all the more interesting. Because obviously, as with Pokemon, the more people who own a Switch, the more games bought. And to that point, software sales overall actually went up. 12% this past quarter to the tune of 85 million copies of games sold, which is the highest number of games sold on Switch in a single quarter since the console launched. And it's doing so well that Nintendo's actually upping their software expectations at the same time they're lowering their hardware expectations. They are now expecting this fiscal year instead of 200 million games, they're going to sell 220 million. And it's a trend we're already seeing out of the holidays. Um, on Friday, January MPD number came out. And or numbers came out and uh, Switch hardware in third place. I think for the first time ever behind PS5 and the Xbox Series is uh, but six of the top twenty games Siri? on that top twenty chart. What Siri? You know how Siri? Maybe yeah. That's what Siri. The Xbox Siri. Yeah, that sounds like some sort of weird invading army. The Xbox Xbox Siri stormed the beach. But uh, anyway, yeah, they six of the top twenty games sold. In January, were Switch exclusive, even though it was the, you know, least best selling of the three. And the overall number one game in January, which is two days of sales, was Pokemon Legends Arceus. So as we kind of move away from my little Jason sales corner, I just dipped this into, uh, you know, and we kind of move into, I guess, talking about all the different games in Nintendo Direct. Just keep this software thing in the back of your mind. Like Nintendo's current focus on growth is really with the games themselves, and with five years of Switch game releases and the strategies behind them now under their belt. It's interesting just how going from game to game in the Direct is almost like thumbing through a playbook of theirs. Like, they have this down cold. And in fact, since this episode of the podcast is releasing on Super Bowl Sunday, let's just do that. Let's treat this like a playbook. In the same way that during a football broadcast, the commentators walk you through the plays with the little X's and O's, we'll touch on the play being executed for each game as we discuss it from the Direct. 
So that's maybe a, a better way to fold in the financial news than just me spouting off numbers. So to go into it, uh, it which, which big announcement from the director we start with? Uh, Mario Strikers? That that sound good to you guys? How about it? Okay. Um, who's excited for Mario Strikers? <laughs> where, where's Mario Strikers on your guys' radar? Um, pretty high up there. Mario Strikers, well... I'm a big fan of the franchise, but I think it was definitely more through osmosis because my brother and really close friend, like, were really competitive in that game. Like, to the point that there was never any hope that I could ever beat any of them in a game. But it was really fun watching both of them play because it was pretty much as close as I can get to ever watching, like, high-level play. And Mm -hmm. I picked up, like, a lot from them as well. So even though I couldn't beat them, pretty much anyone else I played was pretty much like not going to stand a chance just because I played with them. and But they were like on a league of their own. So, you know, seeing, just having that history with it. And not to mention like the, actually, is this by Next Level Games? Is that have been confirmed? Uh, you know, it's I interesting. Know. It's it's not crystal clear, but all signs do point. I have not found official Nintendo documentation that Next Level is developing it, but there have been references from news sites that Next Level is developing it. So I'm going to say yes. Which means it'd be the first game made by Nexol Games since they were fully acquired by Nintendo. Which would be cool because, I mean, part of what I loved so much and what I know a lot of people loved about this franchise is just how much personality the characters get. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that raw art. Like, I mean, it's one of the few games where you see Mario just looking really pissed off. Not to mention just, like, those dynamic angles and just poses to get those characters in. And, I don't know, they also just are just much more animated way more bouncy i don't know bowser always looks cool i love how much like attention they always give them in these franchises and it doesn't seem to be any different in this one so that's honestly my favorite addition they showed so um when they did the trailer for mario striker i forgot to say the full name when they did the trailer for mario strikers battle league coming to nintendo switch this june uh no but when they did the trailer i don't know if you guys noticed but the hyper strike animation so they have this new hyper strike move and we'll talk about it but um I don't know if you guys remember, but all the marketing materials for the first two games, the character art, the box art, print ads, had that kind of aggressive thing you're talking about, Andrew. Like, they all had, like, this super aggressive, like, sketch-looking Mario characters, like, this big, bold, like, jagged black outlines and coloring. And it was really, like, it looked, like, intense and aggressive and, like, yeah. And as much as the in-game graphics for Strikers do contrast some other Mario sports games because of the animation, because of kind of the geometry they use, like everything's more angular because of, you know, the, even the desaturated look of the, like, colors, like, they never matched how cool that art was. Like, that art was always, like, it never quite synced up with what you saw in game. But now, literally, they got it. Like, the Hyper Strike animations go into that exact style. It took them since 2005 to pull it off, but they pulled it off. They got that cool art in the game, animating, going, being a key thing, and making it the flashiest part of the game. So, like, that, to me, was really cool that they were able to kind of connect those two, finally, after, you know, was it nearly 17 years or something? So, so that was exciting. But, um, in a minor, weird, nerdy way. But, Kevin, are you, is, is, is Strikers a big, a big thing in the, in the Kevin household? Uh, I played a little bit of it, but nothing, uh, not too much. I, game looks fun. It does, right? And 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 I feel like, I feel like this game's just long overdue. <laughs> like, I, I I don't know if it's in part like because it's one of the more the like it's the one Mario sports game that really differs from the others. 
Um, I mean, Andrew, you're talking about like visually, but like if you look at Mario Golf or tennis or even baseball or the DS basketball one, um, three on three, they they all stay true to a pretty specific approach of like what a Mario sports game should be, like arcadey but kind of grounded. Um, and, and you can make the case maybe that Mario Golf Super Rush strayed from that a little, particularly with the really cool Battle Rush mode they had. But for the most part, like there's a presentation style, a tone, a general vibe that all these Mario games really adhere to, except for Mario Strikers. Like the, the fact that they don't even call it soccer and they're just like, oh, it's this weird sport we made up. That kind of sums up so well because it's, it's more than just like you apply wacky Mario items on top of a real sport. They straight up ditch the rules of the sport and like there's such a huge emphasis on tackling and offense and and then with charged which was the sequel like it got real crazy real fast because they put like electric fencing around the arenas that you could ram folks into and there were like special character based moves for you as a team captain but then there are also separate special moves for your sidekick teammates and all this could all be happening at once because there's like five on five on the field at any one time like really strikers has always felt to me like the idea of what a Mario sports game could be if it wasn't just like a Mario sports game on steroids, but was one that you like tuned into in the middle of like a roid rage episode. <laughs> like it's like the peak, like, I mean like to, to Wario crotch thrusting, like there are not Wario, sorry. Waluigi cross crotch thrusting. Like there's, there's no, that's the, that's really the environment of the whole. It, yeah. Cross chopping. That's what it was. Yeah. But that, that's the environment of like the whole ethos of like how strikers is different from every other, uh, Mario sport. So I think what was cool with, with Battle League was, is um, not just that we had this tonal shift for the first time in like 15 years, but it seems like they're trying to figure out how to make it, like how to augment the chaos in a way. Like, hey, eight people playing on one Switch at once? Sure, why not? Let's go full party mode. And I, I could see it for sure, you know, resonating with us in the same way that like doing eight player Smash does for kind of like more chaotic fun or like when we do Killer Queen Black and you have your team that's eight people around one TV or you know, they also have the hyper strikes that I mentioned with the art style. Like, uh, in a way, they're not much different than the previous captain shots or whatever they've called in charge. But the fact that they're now an on-field orb that you have to grab in order to start powering up your hyper strikes meter, like that is going to guarantee there's going to be some Smash Bros. style Smash Ball mayhem as everyone like tries to get to the thing at once. So it just it just feels like this game is just ramping up in a lot of ways, which is which is cool because it that chaotic energy is what I think really made Strikers and Strikers Charge work so well back in the day. Um, I think, though, for as much as we saw, I, I, there, I do have some questions. Um, and I'm not, and there's a few things I'm like, mm, I don't know what you're doing there. Like, one big one for me is about gear. This new gear system they're doing uh, on a strategic level. This seems kind of like a cool way to add another layer to the chaos, you know, uh, Actually, quite literally in the little, in the literal sense, they're adding another layer because that new armor and padding on characters is very visually intense. There's a lot going on in some of those uh, outfits. But I mean, in terms of like gameplay, like not having every character that looks the same play the same is interesting in terms of like expectations when you go into matches with opponents online. But I do wonder if this is not so much a new layer as much as it might just be a replacement because I don't know if you remember from Charge too well. But they had sidekick characters, and each sidekick character had a certain stat, set of stats with them. One's more offensive, one's more defensive. You know, one does this, one does that. And looking at the trailer and the footage they showed in the direct, I didn't see the sidekick characters. It looks like the people that used to be the captains of a team full of these sidekicks 
are now teammates with one another. Like, all the main Mario characters can be on a team together. So, does this mean Gear is a swap for sidekicks, but gameplay-wise, basically sidekicks? Like, it's... it's it's they're making it sound like this is whole new system, but it might just be kind of a reskinning of something we had. So that'll be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out. My my other question is pertains to just how much content there may, may there may be, because the fact that you can play with strangers online, unlike in charged, is good, and it seems like it's going to be a big deal. The game's named after it, like the battle league seemed like a logical thing to do in the age of Rocket League and whatnot. And, you know, I think in and of itself, that's going to be really popular. I could see our Wednesday night gaming group, like, really embracing uh, Battle League for a while. But how deep a variety is there going to be? Like, are we talking mainly an online experience here? Is there going to be some local gameplay elements too? Like, breadth of content has been a problem for Mario Sports' generation as a whole. So, like, will the same be true here? And obviously it's too early to say since there's, you know, still plenty they could tell us between now and when it comes out June 10th. But... These are definitely thoughts I had as I was kind of rewatching the trailer and being like, oh, there's this cool thing. Wait, that's there. Oh, there's this thing. But like, if that's me of the game, where's the single player? So like, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, I almost in a way don't mind if it's online only. Like if they do a multiplayer thing and they sell it at budget price, which I know they're not doing, that almost could work. Like if they did like a Mario Rocket League, essentially, I, I could Battle almost League that. almost sounds like the name yeah. I would expect for a service type of game. Right? Oh. Yeah, like if they and I mean I'm, I'm not advocating for Nintendo to do like, you know, a battle pass thing and start charging seasons for Mario Strikers but like, if they're charging 60 bucks, I kind of hope there's more than just the multiplayer, but I, I guess we'll we'll see. Um, I do think regardless of the answers to my questions, whatever they end up being, Strikers is the right move business-wise for Nintendo, which brings us to the play they're making here, if you will. And it's it's, it's actually a pretty simple one. Um, Mario Sports really benefited from the Switch bump. Based on the numbers shared in last week's financial report, Mario Golf Super Rush has already sold over 2.26 million copies. For point of reference, this blows way past the original N64's lifetime sales of uh, 1.47 million and the GameCube's Toadstool Tour. That sold 1.27 million. In fact, it's going to soon eclipse their two sales combined. And those two were the previous best sellers of Mario Golf. So already there's one Mario Sport that's just killing it on Switch. And it did in, what, six months' time? And then Mario Tennis Aces, you know, similar success. Uh, the latest number we have for that, I actually go look it up. It comes from June 2020, at which point the game already sold 3.29 million copies. Uh, that's higher than every other entry, including both the Wii and DS versions that sold a million apiece and the original N64 Mario Tennis that sold about 2.3 million. And that's as of June 2020. Like, who knows how much higher sales have climbed since. Like, that 3.29, that predates when Serena Williams was hired to do an ad campaign that had Mario Tennis, you know, showing up in the pregame of the Super Bowl last year. Like, there's a lot of momentum with Mario Sports games on uh, Switch. So, yeah, I think Strikers is easily a multi-million seller for Nintendo, especially if you take into consideration that the Wii version, Charged, is uh, the highest selling of any Mario Sport game ever. It has 2.6 million in lifetime sales. Um, or I should rephrase that. Any Mario Sports game up to the Switch. Um, so if, if you were to extrapolate out like the Switch bump, in theory, Nintendo's setting up for their best performing Mario Sports game yet with Battle League. So this, 
like Nintendo business decision wise, this was a total no brainer for them. And and that's the thing is that sometimes you know the business plays in terms of making that we're seeing in this direct are just that simple. Like another good example is a game that kicked off the direct, which was a uh, Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes. And much like how the game itself is a mashup of two franchises, the play here is actually built off two past Switch success stories. One is Fire Emblem, of course. Uh, last we heard from Nintendo in June of 2020, uh, the Switch entry which was Three Houses, that sold 3 million copies, which means within a year of release, it's already the best-selling entry in the series' very long, you know, 30, 40-year history. And then you got the Warrior side of the equation. Switch owners seem to love them some Nintendo tie-in Warrior games. Uh, first, we had the original Fire Emblem Warriors. It was on Switch and New 3DS simultaneously back in, like, 2019 or something. And between those two versions, um, they managed to sell a combined million. And then came the biggie, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, uh, Tecmo Koei just reported the, or Koei Tecmo, I don't remember which way their name goes, but either way, they just reported the other week that they already shipped over 4 million copies. That makes it the best-selling Warriors game on any platform ever, and again, it did it in like a year. So if you look at what Three Hopes actually is, it is very specifically following the footsteps of those past successes not just by being a Fire Emblem Warriors sequel on a platform where the franchise already thrives, but doing so in a way that perfectly parallels what drove Age of Calamity to a fourfold sales increase over the original Hyrule Warriors. It's a direct sequel to a best-selling entry of a franchise that already has that best-selling entry on the platform. It, it like Three Hopes is to Three Houses, what Age of Calamity is to Breath of the Wild. Story, sequel-wise, everything, plain and simple. It's one-to-one. So for Nintendo, it seems like a no-brainer of a move. Who among us is actually going to buy it? I can say I'm not. <laughs> I never got around to buying and playing Three Houses, so nope. That is fair. What, are you? But are you a big Warriors guy? I don't War, like I Warriors, like, like like Dynasty Warriors? No, God no. Or like just the the, the whatever the genre subgenres called. Uh, I can't no, I. Well, you did like Persona Five. I did like called right? I, I did like yeah, they're called Musos. There we go. Uh, Persona 5 Strikers, yeah, I mean, says. that one was fine, but I wish it played closer to Kingdom Hearts than it did to, like, Dynasty Warriors. That was, like, my main criticism mm. of that game. Right. Yeah, and, and Angel, you've never been a Warriors guy, huh? Not really. It, it just depends on the context. Like, the context of the games that I've played it in just never seemed like a game I would want to play in that way. So, basically, like, Zelda, like... I don't right. like the idea of Zelda in that kind of environment, so it just doesn't feel fun. I mean, it like the gameplay already like you know it doesn't really gel with me too much, but I don't know. Throwing it in an Attack on Titan setting and maybe I could get behind it, which I think is a thing. But yeah, not for it Warriors, no, not for Fire Emblem, not for Zelda. The the irony is not lost on me that I was like, oh man, this is a slam dunk of a sales decision for Nintendo when it comes out on June 24th. Who's buying it? And then literally all three of us disproved my point. Because um, like for me, let's be real, no upside down Claude on the box art, no sale. No, but really, um, I'm not the biggest Fire Emblem player anymore or a big Warriors fan. So I think I too am passing. I think on a higher level, to your point about like how a game may skew more towards one Warriors or the franchise is inspired by uh, i am curious to see how they differentiate the gameplay if at all because like the original fire emblem warriors it uh integrated stuff like fire emblem's weapon triangle and like building relationships with support characters you know get stat boosts that way 
Um, but then if you look at like how Hyrule Warriors did it with its Zelda integration and how they enhanced it in Age of Calamity with the Sheikah Slate, you know, being both a uh, source of new attacks and for puzzle solving like in the in the world. I kind of I'm kind of curious to see if Three Hopes does a similar like further integration of Three Houses, but I don't know what that would look like. Like school lessons somehow. Like I I don't I have no idea what that could be, but it was it was kind of odd that for a game that comes out two weeks after maybe three weeks after Mario Strikers, which we saw plenty of gameplay information about, Nintendo did not say a word about the gameplay of uh, War of Warriors. They just kind of showed that it exists. So we'll see what what, what it turns out to be. But yeah, it's it's. You know, it's it's kind of an interesting dichotomy of how they're announcing things. Um, but fine, let, let's say we're all ho-hum about Three Hopes, which it seems like we are. Maybe Nintendo Switch Sports gives us more of a reaction? I mean, that was definitely aiming to be a bigger reveal in the Direct. What do you guys make of it? It was also kind of indifferent. I mean, I know it's a big deal. Um, I was never that really big into Wii Sports. Like, you know, it was fun enough. I played it when... I wanted to show people what the Wii was about, but beyond that, it wasn't really something I went back to unless I was, like, desperate for some kind of game or something. Like, the closest is maybe Wii Sports, and even then, yeah, so. I don't know why. Cool to see it back. Maybe I'll check out online bowling. That could probably be the thing I would play the most, but yeah. For some reason, the way you're describing, like, oh, like, I didn't really play much, but when I was desperate, like, maybe I'd, maybe I'd do Wii Sports. I was just picturing, like, yeah, I, you know, I take, like, uh, painkillers, like, Oxy, and if I'm desperate, I'll shoot up heroin, but only if I'm desperate. It's like, I don't know why I had that vision when you said that, but it's just like, you made it sound like it's like this last resort drug you have to take if you need to play a video game. But I do get what you mean. Yeah, it's, it's, it was limited in its scope at the time. Kevin, did you do a whole lot of Wii Sportage in your youth? Yeah, I did a lot of Wii Sports, especially I did a lot of uh, golfing with my dad. Uh, I don't know if I would buy this game, but it's definitely exciting. Like, it, I was I was legitimately shocked that we were actually going to get this. Right? Yeah, it, it, it caught me off guard, too. I, uh, like, I, it always seemed like it makes sense for them to do, like, a Wii Sports Club and Switch Online, but I didn't think they'd do, like, a full new you know, even the sports, they changed the sports. There's six new sports. Well, some are old, but there's six sports, different selection than past Wii Sports. I mean, what do you guys think of the sports? Any of those? I guess, Angel, you don't really have it being, but Kevin, since you did play more, like anything, any of the new ones catch your eye potentially interesting? Uh, you're going to have to remind me of what the new ones were. I remember, oh, sure, sure. I remember it's, it's, badminton being one of them, but that's just yeah. small tennis, so I don't really care about Yeah, it's that baby one. tennis. Yeah. yeah, it's there's bowling, tennis, badminton. Uh, soccer, volleyball, and Chambara, volleyball which is cool. uh, the kind of sword thing. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one before Chambara? Chambara, oh, or soccer. how do you soccer, say it? Eh. Which is, oh, soccer, yeah. Eh. yeah. You, you know what? The it thing just about... looked like a less exciting Rocket League <laughs> because of how well, big it, the ball it's, is. It's weird because, like, honestly, of the three new ones... I like bowling and tennis are a given. Those are gonna be great. You know, they, they did say golf is coming at a later time, so I don't want to forget that. That's gonna be good too. It'll be free. Um, and I do, I kind of like the Chimbara thing more than boxing. Like it's just a less violent boxing. But honestly, the sword fighting thing in uh, Wii Sports Resort, which is what Chimbara is based on, like that was a highlight of Resort in my opinion. So that's cool. But yeah, the, the new three, I'm kind of just like, I, mean, I had the exact same reaction to badminton. I'm just like, eh, because like. 
I mean, really, it, it's swapping out the tennis mechanic the same way like baseball did. Because in the original Wii Sports, it's like, oh, you're doing the swing you would do roughly with tennis, except now you're timing it differently to pretend it's a baseball bat. Okay. So badminton's just like, oh, you're just, it's just smaller. So the swings are smaller, but it's the same motion. Uh, volleyball, to me, seems to capture the simplicity of the original Wii Sports based on what we saw in the presentation. Uh, you, you only make a few key moves and movements mostly handled automatically. So sure, okay, that might be fun. Um, but yeah, soccer, I, I can't get a read on that. I'm, I'm in the same like, eh, camp as you guys. Like the, the, the thing that I think really worked with Wii Sports is it felt like a natural extension of your body, right? Like you had this Wii remote and you swing it like you're holding a tennis racket and it hits the ball like one, or you make an underhand motion like you're lobbing a bowling ball and so it does. There goes a bowling ball. So like they're doing this cool thing with soccer where they're going to support the leg strap. And you'll actually be able to kick, and you'll not use that with the Joy-Con. And that's coming in a summer update for Switch Sports. And then, sure, that might be good. Your leg functions like an in-game leg. But launching it with just hand-based Joy-Con controls? Like, one, that felt like the least like connected to the experience of any of the sports. And two, it just looked like... There's just like... Watching it even, there's like this awkward like inorganicness to it in the video. And I, I, I'm really curious to see how it feels like to actually try and play... And I find it kind of maybe telling that so Nintendo's doing this um, online playtesting this coming weekend, the uh, President's Weekend, uh, for Switch Sports. And soccer, the more you know, unique one, is not part of the test. Only the safest bets, tennis, bowling, and chimbara, are making the cut. Um, so I don't know what that means for soccer. I will obviously have hands-ons of what it means for the for the sports that are there uh, in our next episode. But like for soccer. We're going to have to wait till April 29th to see how that, that turns out when the full game launches. Um, but it's definitely an odd choice compared to some of the other. I do think, weirdly, though, my uh, biggest takeaway from Switch Sports wasn't even that I was su- surprised by it. Like, it was a nice surprise, and I think that was exciting. But, like, it kind of made me feel old. Like, Wii Sports didn't feel like that long ago until the tail end of the segment when they did that throwback to the Nintendo execs playing against each other. And that immediately took me back to sing in, like, the Dolby Theater back in 2006. And it's crazy if you put the two matches side by side in your head then now, just how much has actually changed. Like, obviously, there's different hardware a couple times over. But, you know, Reggie and I Water are gone. Now we have Koizumi. Didn't realize that was done before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how they revealed the very first Wii Sports where they had some Nintendo execs play it on stage. Actually, they had a contest with AOL, just to show you the era, uh, with AOL where you could enter to win a chance to play Wii Sports on stage with Nintendo's exec team. So there was initially Miyamoto, Reggie Iwata, and Bill Trennan, and then I believe Bill Trennan swapped out for literally a Nintendo fan that was sent to this event on Nintendo's dime through a contest to play Wii Sports with these guys. And it was like this huge deal, this huge contest. Um, but yeah, like, you know, Koizumi and Takahashi are now the Reggie and Iwata. They're, they're playing each other online instead of in person. The, the way we're watching it all unfold is now on a pre-recorded video instead of a live stage show that's being broadcast. Like, obviously there's some changes, like the graphics are noticeably different, especially with how Mies are now sidelined in favor of those more elaborate looking sport mate people that remind me a little too much of, uh, like mid 2000s Wii Sport knockoff games. Uh, but like mentally, it was a, all that change was like a lot to see for my poor little brain because I, I obviously Nintendo's evolved, but we rarely see like a beat for beat sort of recreation of something we saw before again. And it was just it was it really made me realize how far we've come since you know 2006. 
but I do think the improvements are for the better across the board. Like at a base level, I think it looks great, like visually, and and setting it in that giant mall gym thing full of details and like people going about their lives in the background. It's one of those neat, subtle ways that Nintendo's able to highlight how much more like modern this game is compared to Wii Sports. Like it really does look graphically like it's taking a big leap forward. And I do kind of like the idea behind some of the new gameplay loops. They didn't talk about too much um, in the presentation, but they are kind of in a similar vein to Mario Strikers is putting such an emphasis on Battle Leagues. Uh, there is something to be said for the core loop of Wii Sports now being dependent on how you do against other real people in a given sport, just like with real sports. You know, be it, uh, you know, you perform well enough to compete online in these pro leagues they're setting up, or you just... Um, you know, get unlockables they customize your character with through playing people and winning. Like, it just feels a little more real than than what Wii Sports was. Um, and as much as I'll miss the Miis, I do kind of get why these strange little sport mate people, as they're calling them, uh, why they're in the game. Like, they do kind of make sense, because I think, I think they're part of a broader set of parallels being drawn uh, by Nintendo between Switch Sports and Ring Fit Adventure. And I think that's the play here. Like, I keep talking about Nintendo's plays. That's the play with with uh, Switch Sports, I think. Because they're leveraging the fact that as of, you know, this last financial report, there are 13.5 million copies of Ring Fit out there. It is the 10th best-selling game on the Switch of all time. It's a big flashing signal that yes motion based games can be successful in the Switch era like they were in the Wii so within that I think Nintendo's seeing two opportunities one is to just straight up capture some of that same Ring Fit audience you know make something that also gets players up and active find a new use for the leg strap they're already familiar with maybe even mirror some of the smaller progression markers like unlocking new outfits and accessories you know hence the sports mates um, it's minor it's it you know tons of games do that sort of loop, but reducing any level of friction for newcomers from Ring Fit into this that that can only be a good thing, right? Like that's just a win for Nintendo. But second, I think it's also this whole game is also played to like the broader base. Um, obviously, on some level, there's nostalgia at play. I was talking about how it made me feel old, and you know Nintendo knows how to harness it well. Like there are 83 million copies of Wii Sports out there and from the Wii's lifetime. There are 33 million copies of Wii Sports Resort sold. Like, those are numbers that I don't think Nintendo's going to ever, even with a Switch bump, overcome. Like, those are crazy high numbers. But Nintendo does know that they can get a chunk of that. So what if Nintendo gets, you know, half that audience, a quarter of that? Let's say they then get a quarter of the Ring Fit crowd. They potentially right there already have a new entrant for one of Switch's top 10 bestsellers ever. Just off that. So it kind of, like, all the decisions they're making and and how they're doing the game, and even swapping out Miis. Like, it all kind of makes sense when you think about what the potential of this game is from a business perspective. So, so I get it. I'll miss my Miis. They're still there as an option, but they're not the main thing. But, um, yeah. So are you guys actually... So neither of you are actually buying it, huh? Uh, yeah. It, I'm glad it exists, but I'm probably not going to add it to my... Or at least, like, at least not right now. Yeah, this sort of That's game fair. I feel Just like not... works much, much better with a group of people, at least in the household. Mm-hmm. At least one more person in the household that will play it, and I just unfortunately do not have that. So, I think it, it, it'll it be interesting how much, you know, to my point about they're going for two audiences, like the Ring Fit crowd and the, class, and the nostalgia crowd. I do wonder how much nostalgia among the Nintendo fandom will actually drive this, because I do think you're right. Like, for a lot of us, college high school that's when we the Wii was a thing and we always had friends around but if you don't have that as you're older now is there as much of an appeal because yeah online exists and the feedback loop's great but 
it's not the same as your buddy being right there next to you. So we shall see. But it, it is interesting as we keep making our way down the list of direct oh, I announcements. See what, you did there. what? We shall see. Oh, hey, that was not intentional. Um, no, but I was going to say it is, it is kind of interesting to keep making our way down the list of direct announcements. This sort of like crisscrossing of strategies that keeps sort of deepening or becomes more convoluted depending on how you look at it. Um, and I think the prime example of the most like galaxy brain move they're doing here in a way uh, was the surprise reveal that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is finally at long last getting proper DLC to the tune of 48 new tracks, which is a crazy high number, uh, between now and the end of 2023 and what Nintendo's calling the Booster Course Pass. It'll be for $25 on the eShop or free with a Switch Online plus expansion pack subscription. And to really quick break down for those who may have missed it, uh, how it's going to work, uh, it's similar to the Smash Ultimate Fighter Pass. We know how many courses, we know the time frame, and we get them revealed and released over extended period in batches of eight tracks, so two cups at a time. Starting on March 18th with the Golden Dash Cup and the Lucky Cat Cup, which will come with Mario Kart 7's Toad Circuit, Wii's Coconut Mall, DS's Shroom Ridge, Super Circuit Sky Garden, 64's Choco Mountain or Choco Mountain, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Either way, it's a classic of a track. And perhaps more interestingly, uh, three courses from Mario Kart Tour. Paris Promenade, Tokyo Blue, and Ninja Hideaway. And I feel like this was the bombshell. This was the real surprise of the direct. How do you? What did you guys make of it? Like, how do you feel when this was announced? So I was like, "Damn, it took how many years to get to this point? Five. We're we gonna have to wait that many years. Five. Yeah. So, I Five. mean, I would also count the original Mario Kart Eight Deluxe. I mean, the well, original, the original Mario Kart Eight Deluxe, or the original I mean, Mario Kart Eight, only became Deluxe when they added the DLC that was originally sold separately. It had DLC. No, yeah, I mean that's the how long has five it been years is still a very long jumps. time. Your point still stands. Yeah, I was just giving yeah, you. Yeah, regardless. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, then we're gonna have to wait this long to also get my party superstars DLC, or does that mean we're maybe close to getting that as well? But either I way, think we're closer. Yeah. Either way, um, super great to see. I mean, obviously, a big fan of this game since we played it a ton. Probably like Smash Bros. Number Two, as far as like my brother and I were concerned. So. Yeah, I never really got tired of Mario Kart 8. Still play it regularly from time to time. So this is yeah, this is pretty much what I wanted from Deluxe because Deluxe didn't give us any new tracks, at least racing tracks. So yeah, pretty happy with it. Hopefully we get a character into somewhere, even though those don't really matter. But yeah, yeah, I don't think we're gonna. But Kevin, how about you? Where 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 you make of this, and 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 maybe more interestingly, what you make of the how they're selling it? Very brave of them, uh, in this political landscape to call it a uh, booster pack. Um, as far as <laughs> as far well, as that didn't even occur the, to me. It's pretty funny. I mean, this is exciting. This is the next best thing that we could have possibly gotten, uh, outside of just a. Brand new Mario Kart. Yeah. Uh, kind of a little bummed that it's going to take all of two years to get everything out. And that also means that we are just not going to get a brand new Mario Kart until at least 2024. Um, but yeah, this is, this is super exciting. Yeah, the whole like no new Mario Kart thing. I've been seeing this joke online that people are like, oh yeah, this is Mario Kart 9, but N-E-I-N, like the journey word for no, because it's just more Mario Kart 8. But uh, it's delaying Mario Kart 9 ultimately happening. But yeah, it, it is interesting that they 
kind of aren't doing a new Mario Kart anytime soon. Like they're they're saving that. It seems like they're saving that for the Switch too. And instead, we're just gonna get what amounts to Mario Kart Ultimate in the meantime. Because I think between the 48 tracks that are there and the 48 tracks that are coming, like I think somewhere between half and two thirds of every Mario Kart track ever made are gonna be in this game by the end of the day. Crazy to think about. Um, are there any specific tracks that you guys would want to see added? Because mm. GameCube, a lot of GameCube ones, GameCube Rainbow Road, DK Mountain. Um, oh my gosh, definitely Rainbow Road from 3DS. Damn, that Rainbow Road is amazing. That has to be in there. Is that the one where you land on the moon? Yeah, that one. I was never a fan of that one. Like you like get to like drive on the rings of Saturn and stuff. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that, that, that was, again. that, that one, you know, it's funny because I always thought the space station one felt like the weirdest. Oh, the Wii uh, one. I love the Wii Rainbow Road too. But... That one with a tough track. Bring that one over too. So you just want all the Rainbow Roads. I love I'm surprised you didn't mention, I mean, well, Kevin, are you, that you would want? Do you have any hmm. tracks you lost Run after <laughs> from Mario Kart? mind, uh, uh, Waluigi, oh God, excuse me. Uh, Waluigi Pinball would be pretty cool. Yes. Yes, that was going to be mine. I mean, I mean, it's so glitzy and vibrant, like seeing that. And it's only been in handheld games. So seeing it in HD on a TV, yeah, that'd be super cool. Yeah, that, yeah. that'd be that'd be dope. I would love to, to see that one. Aside from that, I can't really think of any more. But I would have to like it, look at the tracks from previous games. I never played a Mario Kart Wii, so whatever tracks are in there, just... Completely throw out the window for me. Honestly, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna regret saying this. Someone's gonna come at me, but uh, I thought Mario Kart Wii was kind of weak, so I don't really have fond memories of the tracks. The tracks were fine, but just I don't know the expansion to the number of carts and the introduction of bikes. Like it did not hit with me, so I'm, I'm right there with you with the tracks not being me. Like I know Coconut Mall, but I couldn't name a track from Wii that stood out because the whole game was kind of a wash for me. We probably lost like five listeners to me saying that, but yeah, I do think what's gonna be kind of fun though is um, seeing what we get, like literally just seeing what we get, like learning what's to come, being surprised, having to you know having it play into our nostalgia. Like this is the way Nintendo's doing this. While it does suck, that's gonna take like two years to get it. It is basically a lower scale version of the hype cycle from like the Smash Fighter Pass, right? Like obviously nothing's gonna be able to surpass that, but it's still gonna be kind of fun to have this constant thing to look forward to throughout nintendo's activities for next year or so where like you tune in and for all you know you have eight new mario tracks by the end of whatever you're watching like that or oh this yeah, track you love too bad there's no there. like, like that's cool out of the box picks though there's no like oh it could literally be anything it's just like no it could just be from these things that's yeah it. that's my bar but i think for me at least like one thing i'm actually excited about is the mario kart tour tracks being added in because um like that like, tour is such a weird situation. Like, <laughs> on one hand, like, there's all these new cool tracks that are there for the, you know, for the first time inside tour, and they're often based on these real world locations. So it's like themed even differently from other Mario Karts. But like, there's this divide of players and of like Mario Kart between like, you know, there's, I feel like there's, at least I'm one of them where I don't really, they don't really feel like proper Mario Kart tracks because, like, you know what I mean? Because they're not in, like, a real quote-unquote Mario Kart. Like, they're behind free-to-play systems and smartphone controls. And, you know, while while the game on mobile is better than it was, like, it's still not as good as a regular Mario Kart. So having them now, like, li- these tracks now, like, liberated from the shackles of a different type of Mario Kart and brought 
into 8 Deluxe, like what what I at least consider to be a true Mario Kart. Like that's cool scene. I think for me that's going to be kind of what you're getting at, Angel, where there are going to be these tracks that are in a way new content if you don't really play Tor. And it's, for me, that, that, that fills that void. And the fact that, you know, in the first eight tracks they're releasing, Tor is the only one with multiple. Like, every other game has one. Tor is three. Like, that already is kind of a strong start. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping, especially since Tor keeps introducing new tracks as time goes on, I'm kind of hoping they just start sort of bringing over a lot of those. And then that is, in a way, new content. But, I mean, because you, you don't really play Tor either, right? So those are going to be new for you too, aren't they? I play tour enough, but like I don't even think half those tracks were there when you played it. Oh, you did? Mm, yeah, I recognize mm, them. Okay, well, never mind. Uh, but I do think for Nintendo too, it's an interesting play um, that they're making. Like they're really trying to bridge the gap between their core games and their mobile games here, because like frankly, their mobile business, like it's kind of kind of stagnant right now. Like they they kept it brief in their financials, but there was a blurb that income from smartphone games declined year on year which uh then pushed their entire bucket of like mobile and ip based business down by like 5.2 percent or something and they have found some success um fire emblem heroes it's actually on the cusp of generating one billion dollars in total revenue uh that's coming from analytics firm uh sensor tower but no other game has approached that like at all animal crossing pocket camp that's at like 267 million which you know, Nintendo's now trying to give it a boost with this 5.0 update that includes a different 99 cent subscription if you're on, you know, playing on your phone and has its own perks like journaling and the like. And, and then under that, that's where Mario Kart Tour sits and that has 259 million in total revenue so far. So in a way, like this push they're doing to tour inside Mario Kart 8, it, it almost feels like they're trying to like reverse their usual player acquisition flow. Like as much as tour and the mobile games appeal to some, have never owned a game console and could gravitate maybe towards buying one because they like tour i have to imagine the emphasis on tour tracks is to a degree nintendo attempting to market and drum up interest among the core console owners that hey there's this mobile experience over here too if you want to dive deeper and kind of my hope is they start ping-ponging back and forth the tracks a little quicker so that you know maybe in the tail or back half of the uh booster course pack or course booster pack or whatever the sequence of those words is um maybe by then we are seeing tracks that are new to tour and to mario kart 8 and you know the pacing between is maybe only a month or two off and then there is possibly for you angel some actual fresh content hopefully possibly but it is interesting that tour is like the one so far that's getting the most attention um and i also think we didn't really touch on it the way they're selling this is interesting like Kevin, you don't have expansion pack. Are you just are you gonna upgrade to the Switch on expansion pack, or are you just gonna pay twenty five bucks? Hell to get this no, pass? I'm just paying twenty five dollars. <laughs> okay, that, that that's fair. I mean, it honestly, like, I think the added value, like, to me, that was kind of the biggest win. Like, uh, like, this feels like the missing piece needed to really help boost expansion packs value, right? Like, it's like fifty bucks a year for N sixty four games, Genesis games, what amounts to a whole nother. Mario Kart 8.5, uh, Happy Home Paradise for Animal Crossing. Who knows what other DLC they may fold into the future? Like, that doesn't seem as bad as it did before they had, like, all this, this DLC stuff. I mean, like, it's really not that horrible, especially when you consider that, um, they're selling, essentially, if you break down the value, if you say, okay, 25 bucks, whatever, that is, you're saving $5 to get 
the equivalent of thirty dollars worth of content because you know Mario Kart Eight Deluxe is sixty bucks, is four eight tracks, are giving you four eight more for twenty five bucks. But if you then pile in all that other stuff, like you are getting a deal on these tracks if you do a subscription service. But I, it, the recurring thing, I can see how that could be. An, um, and Angel, you have expansion pass, so I imagine you're just gonna take the free tracks. Yeah, I mean, they look like the cherry on top. Yeah, well, already right? gonna pay the money, and then I would think, oh, even better. So I think I think that is kind of the world Nintendo's hoping more, or the direction Nintendo's hoping more people are going into is what you and I are doing because like for Nintendo like this is a play they're making here like as a as is true with I guess every tech company services are becoming a more important factor you know why else would they even do something like shout drop the two Earthbounds on Switch Online during the direct for example like obviously that's to get people to check out the service if they haven't but what's interesting with the uh, course booster is that. Nintendo is acting on opportunity to not just, you know, sell some subscriptions, but also reverse course on declines they're seeing with their evergreens and then using those same evergreens to do that, to, you know, catch up that money and then some. So to put it in perspective a bit, because that maybe didn't make sense, uh, during the Q&A portion of the their financial briefing, which is yet another document they upload to their server that we will link to in our episodes blog post. But anyway, in there... Uh, Nintendo's president, Shintaro Furukawa, noted that as more people begin to double dip in hardware purchases like the OLED model, there is a decrease occurring in evergreen sales since, you know, folks already own the games. They have a Switch RA. So typically, uh, and this is kind of interesting, Nintendo says that about 60% of their software sales on Switch are evergreen. And then the second or third game that a new Switch owner buys ends up being an evergreen game. So there's some newer one that maybe entices them, but then they start backtracking into the older games. This year, the evergreen rate's only been 50%, or at least uh, this past quarter, and the, they anticipate that that decline's going to continue. But those evergreens that, you know, maybe are seeing fewer new sales, they've racked up a ton of people. I mean, we know Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is an insanely big seller. The latest numbers as of this financial report, so through the end of 2021, put it at selling 43 million copies. If you want an even crazier number, if you add in the Wii U version, uh, this is Nintendo's second best-selling game in its history at over 50 million copies. But for for the sake of this conversation, let's just stick to that 43 million, the actual Switch count. That That's nearly half of all Switch owners. So there's clearly an opportunity now, for lack of a better word, to activate those Mario Kart players to join Switch Online if they haven't yet, or at least cough up $25 for the course pass by itself, like like you're doing, Kevin. Um, and it's it's a move that Nintendo's already proven to work to get people to subscribe or at least fork over money that they wouldn't otherwise because they already bought the game. Like in that same Q&A I mentioned, uh, Furcom commented that the growth of Switch Online and you know the existing um, Animal Crossing Happy Home Paradise expansion, those, while he didn't give a hard number... He did say that they helped propel Nintendo's digital sales by 31% year over year to a new all-time high. So it's clearly working. And that's, and that's just taking into account the folks who do own Mario Kart. But separately, there's a metric shared uh, in the financials that the Switch's annual player count for 2021 was 98 million people. This can include, to be fair, multiple Switch accounts on a single – or Nintendo accounts on a single Switch uh, – but nonetheless, 98 million people in 2021 played a game. So let's say every one of those 43 million copies of Mario Kart was played in 2021 as well. That still leaves, and I'm not quite apples to apples comparison here, but that still leaves something like 50 million potential Mario Kart players. 
realistically, that pool was probably even bigger because not everyone was playing Mario Kart. And as we know with DLC, and, and Furcon himself emphasized this in the Q&A, DLC, expansions, all that stuff don't just help existing owners double dip. They act as marketing that comes to, uh, not comes to, but how, how I word this. They, it acts as marketing to attract new folks who maybe otherwise wouldn't have bought in the game too. It, it elevates the profile of the game. So if you then tie that to your subscription service, well, there you go. Now you're elevating the attention on your subscription service. Like essentially, Nintendo's found a way to get money out of existing Mario Kart owners for the first time in five years, attract new owners, bolster subscription numbers, and offset a decline in evergreen sales, all with this one move. And in a weird way, in a weird way, it's basically what Nintendo, what uh, Rockstar does with GTA yeah, Five. Like, this is Nintendo's and Microsoft. Yeah, sucks to be you guys. No, but like lots of companies do this. Because I was trying to say is like GTA Five, Take Two, and Rockstar. It's the exact same strategy they did. They took an old game, they augmented it with new stuff. You know, they did the Dr. Dre thing a year ago, whatever that was called, um, or not even a year ago, this past couple months ago. Um, and you know that that keeps selling forever, and it's like a little platform of itself and. Mario Kart Deluxe look like it's going to be the same. It's really the closest we've seen Nintendo come on a home console to embrace... Yeah, really on a home console to embracing a true games-as-service mindset. Or I guess in this case, more of like a game funneling into a service. But but games-as-services, like in general, I don't know if you guys like noticed that, but there were a lot of them in the Direct this time around. And there'll be the show. Uh, Taiko no... Tsujin is having a, I think that's how you say it, is having a uh, song subscription service for the first time. There's that Disney Kart Racer uh, Speedstorm that's free to play. Uh, in the Japanese directors revealed that Chocobo GP, the Final Fantasy Kart Racer, that's got a season pass with characters like Cloud added. Um, even in a weird way, you could argue that a game like No Man's Sky showing up on Switch kind of is like one of those games of service games in a way. I mean, that that one's probably closer to how Mario Kart isn't truly a game of service, but they, you know, like Mario Kart, it is one that constantly gets bundled content, you know, pushed to it and new features and has really kind of evolved into a different game, which is what Mario Kart will be, you know, 48 tracks from now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just interesting that so much on Switch is moving in that direction. Mario Kart for Nintendo is kind of leading the charge. Um, and also, this was a weird way for me to bring up No Man's Sky, because honestly, that was kind of a surprise to see in the direct. And to have it look as good as it did in the footage, like, I don't know what Hello Games is doing, but that was impressive. I really hope that it runs as well as it does in the footage, because while Hello Games has made incredible strides to make that game not the incredible disappointment that it was on launch... It's going to look like they have egg on their face if that trailer looks as good as it does and the game just not is able to keep up with it. I originally thought that this was going to be a cloud version. Yeah, apparently it's running on the Switch. So they did a blog post, Hello Games, where they said that um, all the procedural content is, you know, the like generated content, it's all being done, the generation itself is being done on device, which is crazy. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe there's like some... I don't know, like cloud element, or maybe they're offloading some of the work, but nope. Steven Totillo of uh, Axios, he tweeted that he got directly told, he was directly told that the whole thing is on Switch. It's it's running on Switch, which which is really crazy because if it does hold up, like if you put that side by side with something like Pokemon Legends Arceus, like it really goes to show what the Switch can actually do. And apparently uh, Hello Games has spent over two years with a small team making this possible and they considered it a moonshot at the time so they didn't even think it would necessarily work 
and then they got it to the point where it actually can, which is crazy dedication. Cool. I, so, yeah, hopefully, I will wait until smoothly. we actually see it. You think it might be vaporware? I, I'm not saying there's going to be vaporware. I will believe that that game runs on Switch as well as it did in that trailer when it releases. <laughs> That's fair. I It is funny because I'm like saying, like, oh, it's so cool. It's so impressive. But, like, I don't know if I – like, I love – I always thought the concept of No Man's Sky was really interesting, but it's so open-ended that at the same time, I'm kind of like, I can actually dedicate the time to this. Like, is it too open-ended? I mean, have either of you played it on any system or PC or anything? No, I haven't played it. I know Elvis played it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to pick his brain back. I just just watched him play it. Seemed to really like it, even before the the whole missing features. I mean, he still seemed to play it enough, but he did run out of content or things to do or he just like got bored but then he got back into it and i don't know if he's gonna try the vr if that's already out yeah that that's the sense i just can't quite tell where it goes <laughs> like what do you ultimately do like i i don't know it's uh, if it if it eventually comes to switch and runs as smoothly as they say maybe i'll give it a chance but yeah we, we shall see um but that, that's kind of a tangent though really those were um I've been talking about the direct so far. Were kind of games that took pages from different parts of Nintendo's playbook, but there was a crop of games in the presentation that uh, I'd say used like a tired and true strategy we all know very well, which is being a sequel. Uh, I'd say that approach encompasses the likes of Splatoon Three and Kirby and the Forgotten Land, and the surprise closure uh, closer of the presentation, Xenoblade Chronicles Three, which was finally revealed after many months of rumors and leaks. Um, either of you, Xenoblade people at all? Nope. Same. <laughs> Maybe Angel. Elvis. He did play part two, but yeah, I I did di- I I did I the first dig one to support it. What a what a good guy! You were part of a group of people that helped it make just shy of a million on the Wii in terms of sales numbers. So so here's the thing though: it's got to be big on Switch. I mean, the definitive edition of the one you bought on Wii went on to sell 1.5 million, and then the sequel on Switch, you know, Chronicles Two, sold two million. So I have to imagine this new one has potential to go even further. Um, so like that, that seems like it's just a slam dunk for Nintendo in terms of good sales. Uh, and I will say, I know nothing about the game. I'm not going to play it. But the whatever faction of people in it in that trailer had the cool Tron aesthetic. Yeah, that was cool. So good for them. They they make good. Uh, I mean, I think that's just real blades aesthetic in general. I don't think it, to that extent. Like I know the I know the sword has it, but like they had it like on their armor and on their stuff, and it was it was cool. And if that's the whole game, then maybe I'll have to actually play because I love the Tron aesthetic. <laughs> I don't know if it's enough to make me play a game, but like I do, like I, I love the look of Tron, especially Tron Legacy. But, but anyway, yeah, that, that was Xenoblade, so cool. Um, I think Kirby and the Forgotten Land is another one. I feel like there's not a whole lot to say besides mouthful mode. Um, is everyone enjoying Kirby eating cars? Carby? As you coined it, Kevin? Uh, I mean, that didn't make me any more excited honestly, for the game, honestly. Yeah, I'm already indifferent about the game. Like, it just it looks fine. I don't know what it is that got me jaded on Kirby. At least, like, anything traditional Kirby. I'm still calling it traditional Kirby, even though it's in 3D. I mean, um, it's essentially but, tilted on C-axis. It's regular Kirby, yeah. But, I don't know, my, my first impression from, like, literally, like, the first thing I thought of was... Oh, they just couldn't come up with a car Kirby design, so they just kind of did that. So they, they, it, it's oh, kind no, of no, sad no, Angel, no, 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 because like you, you got it all because wrong. I like, I mean, like I like the idea, but like they also just kind of, 
Uh, unfortunately for me, they just kind of come off as lazy. No, like see, you, 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 sir. Got, oh, you mean the design of it being not like a car enemy power up? Yeah, like, because because Kirby right, has literally well, transformed into a wheel before. Like these are just like, uh, how do we make see, a car see, Kirby? Like, see. oh, let's just not and just have it not fully get sucked up because I guess Kirby can't actually suck up the car. No, 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 no. He has you... a bottomless pit, which was proven in like Kirby's which one? Like uh, the mouse one, um, Squeak Squad. So, I was just kind of perplexed by it. It's like, why can't he suddenly not completely suck things up and take their things? But eh, it, it is what it is. If 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 you were going into the deeper lore of Kirby here, I'm just gonna point something out real quick, and that's why I kept saying, no, 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 you're wrong. You're looking at like a, a new take on his copy ability. What you should look at it as, and it doesn't excuse the design point you're making. Personally, I love the fact that they made it so you could like still see the thing. Like, and I think the internet. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to, and like, silly. I mean, I don't yeah. dislike it. It's just like. Yeah, it's great. I'd like to see what they could have got, what they could have created. Yeah, but no, in terms of concept of what they're doing here, it's not a copy ability. This is a kind of clever riff, I guess you could say, on his animal buddies from Kirby's Dreamland Two, or even more recently, like the Robobot suit in Planet Robo Bobo Bot Bobobot Bo. But uh, yeah, basically, like you know, he always had his copy abilities, but they also in the games over the years introduced other forms of like transportation with their own physics and abilities that were beyond just you know kirby having a move but staying true to his physics so like in kirby's dreamland you had like gooey and you had the hamster and you had stuff like that and those guys would actually behave differently and here and then robobot you know you had the robot suit which was slow and bulky and here all the things they're showing the cone the the light bulb the the thing that you're flying in the air with that looks like kind of an arc and most notably the car they all handle differently, move differently, behave differently. They're not just he has a power. It's literally like you are controlling this other object. So when you look at it through that lens, it makes sense that it's not when just like a normal When I look at it through that lens, I recall Kirby 64 and other Kirby games where when he had a copy ability, he just transforms into said object and his mobility also changes along with like his physics and stuff. Not well, often, but... Well, it could have also fair. been that, like, <laughs> like yeah, he could have sucked fair. up like the car, and then you know you press B, and he just like you know goes from room, and then he's like, you know, like like literally his wheel ability, like suddenly you can't stop him from rolling, and you have to like watch for his shorter hop, faster hop, and you know his crazy speed, and he just kind of goes in and out of the ability because when he's in it, he's literally a vehicle. When he's out of it, he controls like normal, which I'm guessing is going to be this when you're driving yeah. around the car. You're stuck driving and doing the ability that the car would have, but then, you know, you leave the car, presumably at some point because you can't progress with it, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on that it's gonna be only when you're like the abilities will only hold true when you're in that shape. Yeah. So, um, so okay. So there's two. There's multiple ways that this could have gone. Clearly, I thought I had the 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 clever answer, but it seems like Hal has given too many options over the years. Um, but I will, I will say, I think part of the reason it works, this design, even though it's not as fully designed as you're saying, is, um, because of the graphic fidelity of finally getting like an HD 3D detailed, like next gen quote unquote Kirby. Like, you know, the, the, the amount of detail to like put a little car under him, like it would look janky if it was on even like the GameCube, but it, it, you know, that, that extra Christmas goes a long way for some weird, silly stuff like this yeah. sometimes. And I mean, honestly, this is literally just a nitpick. I mean, the fact that oh, they yeah, are already, yeah. like, showing the fact that you can, you know, level up the abilities and those will get more and more elaborate as you go on and can 
You know, they literally show that, like, he becomes a dragon at some point and can fly around. Just like that one glider thing that he has for certain levels, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely has the most depth, I think, of any Kirby game in terms of what his powers mean and the variety of said powers. Which include, in this case, you know, eating inanimate objects as being powers, in a way. They're not copy abilities, but they are powers. So... Yeah, it, it's going to be I'm, – I'm hoping because it goes as deep as it seems to go that it also means this is going to be a bit meatier of a Kirby game than some others because a lot of Kirby games are a bit on the you know, simpler, shorter side. So if this one really leans in on some of this more intricate, elaborate stuff and even as we talked about a few episodes ago, how like as you progress, you like build out your town. Like there's all these elements and layers that make it seem like there's going to be more here than a typical Kirby game. So – we shall find out in just about a month if that holds true, but it's definitely promising. Um, if you're not turned off with traditional Kirby like like you are, Angel. It's promising for those who still care. Um, but it does bring us to, I guess, the final of the of the three sequels, literally the sequels with threes in them, uh, Splatoon 3, which I, I do think is maybe the most sequel looking of the bunch. We got our first look at Salmon Run, uh, Next Wave, as they're calling it, the updated version of that mode, and Angel, you're you're a big salmon runner. How, how's it looking to you? Damn. I mean, mechanically, I'm really excited to play it because I've been wanting for them to incorporate like a throwing ability for so long, and the fact that we finally got that is uh, it's game changing. Yeah, like it that just, that it just is nice. the way like all that work because there's just so many times where like you know someone's close to the you know to the basket, too far away, or they're about to die. Like you know that little example they showed where like someone literally like died but they pretty much kept like baton passing the egg and the fact that you could actually throw it at the basket and not even actually have to make contact with it i mean just kind of shows that they're probably gonna make some of the obstacles that much crazier because you know now you don't even have to get there i mean before you know the levels were kind of designed so that so there's always kind of a clear path or an easy way to get back there but I don't know. The potential just seemed a lot crazy. Not to mention, you know, some of those new salmon bosses also look pretty nutty and funny. So, and the fish stick. Well, yeah, the, the bosses, but yeah. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to specifically say the fish stick. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think that the only nitpick I have is, like, if you know Salmon Run and you watch it, like, you can pick out the stuff that's new and interesting, the new enemies. The the egg toss thing is huge, no doubt. Like, that changes strategies a lot in terms of how you work with your teammates, like you were saying. But um, if you're just kind of at a glance looking at it, it doesn't feel – like, I made a comment that it didn't feel very sequel and I feel like, like, the, I, I just wish the environment looked a little different somehow. Like, they have new suits, and there's new enemies, and, like, everything's slightly different, but just, like, the overall, like, look of the – place where this is all happening where you go to do your salmon run is exactly the same and that does seem to be a splatoon habit where like the sequels don't really go too far out of the comfort zone but i just, I just kind of wish salmon run like i don't know i understand that they're it's yeah, brown and orange cuts at sunset and like that's prime salmon running time and sometimes there's night mode and stuff but like i just wish that, that maybe change the color of the metal you're standing on or like have the ocean around you be a different color. Like, just do something. Like, it just felt so samey, even though the actual mechanics were different. That kind of, like... It took me a minute to pick up on what actually changed. Like, the egg was obvious. The fish stick was obvious. But, like, some of the others are like, oh, is that enemy new? Because, like, he kind of looks a lot like the other guy because their designs are awfully similar. Like, I just wish they, like, got a little more adventurous visually like they are with how they're changing up the strategies. 
Yeah, I definitely couldn't blame anyone that came into the the show midway into that presentation and thought, hey, why are they showing like, or I mean, like yeah. the original Salmon Run? And 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 while we're talking about things that should change with Salmon Run, I'm just putting in the request officially here. Get rid of the designated times that Salmon Run runs. Like, I don't think Splatoon 3 needs to do what Splatoon 2 does and be like, oh, you, oh, you have to be online at this one set of hours and you can play Salmon Run. Like, just, it's a mode... That Nintendo is acknowledging hey, go, by making go it. home and rest and he's bits. He on. is zeros and ones. He does not need to rest. Um, but no, it's just like it's silly because like they're spending so much time being like, look at Sam. Like it was one of the longer trailers. Um, in a way, like I think it was like three straight minutes or something, right? And they it was so much time being like, look at Sam run, look at this new stuff we're doing, and then to have them be like, but also you only play it when we say you play it. Just feels like it, it feels like it outgrew that like. I get why it was there initially is to try and like get attention around because they weren't sure if the mode would work or be successful. So they wanted to like get as many people into it by kind of hyping up the moment. It's successful. It's proven. Just let it be a normal mode. Please. Please. That's my one request. So we'll see if they do it. Um, Kevin, where would you rate the music with this, um, with this platoon trailer? Cause I know, I know you have a hierarchy of platoon trailers. Music. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it had music. Uh, Nothing is <laughs> ever. <laughs> that's that's a rating. Nothing's ever gonna come close to that octo expansion reveal tra- uh, reveal trailer music. That song just hits differently. And as far as I'm concerned, if they don't reuse that track, which they never will for obvious reasons, but if they don't use that track, I'm gonna give the music in any Splatoon trailer a zero out of ten. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that that's the one that was like the the '90s hip hop inspired, like Biggie Tupac yeah, referencing video, right? Yeah, dope. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I am very curious to some extent to see. Very curious to some extent. I mean, I'm not very curious, but I am curious to see where the music goes in Splatoon Three, because they're doing this whole like Splatlands and they're like kind of out like Wild West. So like, are they gonna? It's like gonna influence the music. You know, is there gonna be other genres? Are they gonna lean more into the hip hop stuff? Because clearly, they they have a knack for it. It's it's one of those things that no one really thinks about too much because they're more concerned about the gameplay mechanics and strategies and even the visuals. But like, music's a big part of Splatoon. I'm I'm curious where they take it. Um, but yeah, it's I I will say, the trailer music did not do wonders for me either. <laughs> I I didn't, I don't have the same appreciation that, as you do for uh, the Octo one. But yeah, it did. So with that, I guess. Uh, I guess we could close the playbook for the Nintendo Direct announcements. Um, we now have the next drumbeat of releases lined up, and, and it's a lot. Just on the first party side, we've got Triangle Strategy on March 4th, Mario Kart 8 DLC on March 18th, Kirby on March 25th, Adventure Wars on April 8th, Switch Sports on April 29th, Mario Strikers on June 10th, Splatoon sometime this summer, Xenoblade in September. It's, it's like a new game every six weeks, and that's just on the first party side. And I think what's crazy to kind of like put a pin in all this is... Um, that Switch at this point has it, whatever they release on Switch at this point, like every single one of those games I just rattled off is easily going to be a million seller. If it's not the strategy we discussed already, it's just the good old Switch bump, capitalizing on throwback nostalgia. Like you know, Advance Wars remake isn't doing anything special besides just being what looks like a very solid remake now with voice acting. But uh, you know, if WarioWare get together and Big Brain Academy are both now million sellers with only months on their, you know, in just months since their release, like, why wouldn't Advance Wars be? And I think, you know, obviously 
for what we're playing at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if a game sells well or not, but I think what these sales do is allow for then other games to come. Because what's interesting is on the third-party side, the companies that showed up in this direct, they seem to understand this idea too of like what can sell on Switch. And that's why we're getting some interesting stuff like you know a Klonoa compilation or a Portal Complete Edition or the Assassin's Creed Collection or remasters of stuff like Front Mission or Chrono Cross or The Force Unleashed. Um, I think this direct just really highlighted that as PS5 and Xbox move in one direction with way more enhanced specs, third parties on Switch are making this like nostalgia grove that can really just like play to the system's strengths. And I, I don't know, maybe there are some games. Were there any other games in particular we haven't talked about you guys want to mention that you're excited for or just happy to see come back or that kind of the, the highlight? Were there any other highlights? Really? I mean, I was pleasantly surprised to see Portal. I mean, I played the heck out of it on MacBook. Oh, but I don't really plan on playing it again. Did you play but Portal 2? I was 2? happy to see it. Yeah, I also completed Portal 2, the co-op as well. I don't remember how, but I did play the whole thing with... Uh, Klonoa, baby. I love the Klonoa series. Can't wait. I uh, I don't know if I've ever played a Klonoa, but I always liked his design of a char- as a character. Oh, man. With his flappy ears. Kl- Klonoa 2 on the PlayStation 2 back in the day. Oh, man. Oh man, I can't wait for that. That's the one. That's one of the ones in the compilation, right? It's one and two. Yeah, they're both. They're both on there. I know uh, yeah. Klonoa One got a remake on the Wii. I don't think that this. Oh is, yeah. I don't think that this is that same game though. I As in, don't. it's not what was remade, or it's not right. I don't the original think that source. The, I the... don't think that the Wii port, the Wii remake is going to be the same one as the one that we get with this uh, collection. Oh, I see what you're saying. Which is weird. Yeah. Like, they're essentially remaking the game twice. So, Did it use motion control, the Wii one? Maybe that's why. I don't remember. I just... The reason I say this is because this, uh, this compilation is called the Fantasy Reverie series, and they specifically call the first game uh, Klonoa Door to Phantom Mill, which was the title of the original game, but the Wii remake was just Klonoa. So, I don't huh, know. Yeah, that's odd. yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Oh, Bandai Namco, you crazy. I always thought it was clever how uh, Klonoa's little pin on his hat is Pac-Man. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's my one thought on Klonoa. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, I think it... It. I'm kind of curious to check out, like, to kind of echo you, Angel, I'm kind of curious about Portal. I never actually, like... I tried to have it on a PC back in college that barely could run it. It was like a laptop from HP or something before I went Mac, and like I never finished it, and I never played the sequel. So the fact that both are only going to be twenty bucks on Switch, like, and have online and local co-op like that—that's enticing. Yeah, Portal Two okay. co-op is fantastic. I mean, Portal Two it just okay. just as a total package is one of the best games of all time for sure. The the timing, I mean, it makes sense because it's Valve and this is just what they do, but the timing of Valve announcing a Portal compilation coming to Switch within weeks of the Steam Deck coming out where you can just play Portal on the go on Steam Deck is is kind of funny. And there's no there's no deeper thought here. It's just kind of a funny coincidence. They know how to, you know, hit all the audiences, I guess. Yep. But okay, so to, to close out the coverage, to close out the episode... How would you guys rate this direct overall? Like we talked about a bunch of the games, but like, was it a good direct? You think an okay direct? Where where is it? Where is it in the hierarchy for you? That was pretty good. I would definitely rate it up there. I nine. Yeah, same. I'd probably give it an eight. 
Funny thing is that, and this is without it having a Smash Brothers, so yeah. I kind of forgot about Smash Brothers, I think, like, halfway through when they just kind of kept throwing, like, nothing mind-blowing, but just, like, a bunch of, like, just really cool stuff. It, like, even the stuff that I wasn't, like like I said, like, I was pleasantly surprised to see Portal on there, or um, like even Klonoa, like, just knowing, like, that I know people like that game was like, oh, that's cool. Like, oh, people will like that. Like, even Chrono Cross was like, oh, that's interesting. I know people like that game. Yeah, I think it, I think, I think for me, it kind of goes back to the same thing. Like, it's just like the familiarity, like the, the nostalgia to some degree. Like a new game you've never seen before can be really cool. Like one of the games they showed was uh, Live, Live Alive or Live Alive or whatever it's called. And it's like, the idea of it's interesting because it's like your eight different RPG stories and RPG mechanics and they're on this one game and they kind of intertwine by the end or something like that and and, you know, like that, that was cool. Will I ever play it? Who knows? But it looked neat in the moment. And then my hype pretty much peaked there. But the level of excitement, like to be, the level of excitement to, that I felt when like being like, I want to say reunited with old friends, but seeing old familiar faces, like that's hard to top. Like I, I probably have the same reaction to Klonoa as I did to Live Alive. It's like, oh, that's cool. And not like buy it. But it sticks in my memory more because it has that familiarity to it. And I think that's what like, made this direct as good as it was because i'd give it probably like an 8 8.5 as well and i think it was just because like we didn't see the biggest games or the best games or the triple a games but there's just a lot of non-stop remember this remember this hey this is cool hey this was a thing this was remember that dude do, do you like this do you like that like it was all things we've kind of seen before in different capacities so it's cool to see him revisit in new ways it's cool to see him revisit at all after decades like it was just it was it was very fan servicey feeling in a way so that that was kind of nice it just felt like kind of a, a very long reunion with all these different people so that so that was fun um but yeah with that i think our episode can finally come to a close um that was a lot like i think we're set on the news front for probably a good while now I, who knows what we're even gonna discuss in future episodes i mean we'll, we'll be back in two weeks on uh i think the 27th of february but what we're gonna be talking about i mean we have switch sports online tests that we've been playing i know uh kevin you've been going into tetris effect connect uh connected a little more so yeah we'll have that but like what else who knows so to find out i guess everyone will just need to tune in which you can ensure you do by subscribing to us on your podcast app of choice we are on everything from apple podcast to google to pandora to amazon music to stitcher to tune in to uh we're on youtube at ramtel.com we're, we're everywhere and uh, we also are on Twitter at Ram, Tino, uh, at Ram Nintendo. If you want to follow us there uh, individually, I'm JSR7 on Twitter. Angel's Ware on Twitter. Twitter. Kevin is KVN Gomi on Twitter. Um, I think that's it. That was a was meaty me episode. Spell out Wero? I did, didn't I? You did not. Oh well, guys and gals, it is spelled W E I R O underscore O. Now, Kevin, mm-hmm. wait. Why are you humming, Angel? Wait. Oh no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just like I'm just thinking of like the timeline where like I didn't point it out until after the fact, and I'm just curious, like, like what? Well, what you okay? Before we wrap up, what do you think would have happened if you didn't point it out until after the fact? Like, would the world have stopped turning? Like, what? You think it's like there's all these scenarios? Like, would would volcanoes erupt out of the sea and wipe out California? Like, what are you anticipating happening that's that you're able to contemplate if I didn't spell it out till after the episode? Um. You're insisting on adding it in just because you've never not done it? I'm pretty sure in the 274 episodes, there's been at least one time I haven't done it prior to today. If you didn't, that'd be curious to find out. Yeah, if someone happens to know, 
If someone wants to listen to 274 episodes of the Roundtable <laughs> podcast, and specifically, the the, specifically the last minute to three minutes, and I say minute to three because we were about to sign off. That was the last minute, but now here we are still going. So, um, yeah, listen to the last three minutes. We will not reward you for your work. So don't expect a paycheck. But if you're curious, we're curious. So with that, <laughs> this, this really went off the rails. Uh, Kevin, save us. What's the final word? Put Wordle on Switch.